Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey friends, it's the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm so glad that you clicked play on this episode, and I am looking forward to letting you hear from Ron Sider uh, on this episode. Uh, I'm Ben Sternke. I'm one of your regular hosts, one of the regular hosts of this podcast. And uh, normally we do the intro with a couple, at least a couple of us, but it's just me today. So uh, just a few things real quick before we get into this interview with Ron Sider on nonviolence as uh, an integral part of following Jesus. Maybe a controversial topic for some of you, but I I hope you'll uh, tune in. Ron, has, he's a super sharp thinker, and he has a really cogent argument for this. And I think it's um, something that the church uh, needs to grapple with. And so I'll just leave it at that uh, and let you listen to the episode uh, to see if you have further thoughts. If you do have further thoughts, always feel free to contact us, podcast at gravityleadership.com if you have episode ideas and that sort of thing. Uh, we have a lot of great interaction with people who reach out to us in that way. Um, so just a couple things before we get uh, into that. Our membership community on Patreon is a great way for you to dive in a little bit deeper with us. If you've been enjoying the podcast or our blog for some time uh, and you're not ready to dive into Gravity Leadership Academy, which is our uh, twelve month, 10 to 12 month uh, coaching program, um, then this might be a great way to dive in a, a little bit deeper. Um, there's uh, different levels that you get different uh, access to different things, including a, another podcast that we do called the Practitioner Podcast, where we process kairoses and talk a little bit more intimately about uh, things that were um, that just don't f- feel like we can put them <laughs> put them out on this public podcast. We actually recently interviewed David Fitch, uh, the intrepid David Fitch, and uh, decided to put that out on the Practitioner Podcast uh, just because it turned into. 
felt like a little bit more like a uh, a back porch conversation than a platform conversation. So anyway, uh, I encourage you to check it out, uh, patreon.com slash gravityleadership. Again, it's patreon.com slash gravityleadership. Uh, there's lots of stuff that uh, you can join in with and join our community there. It's growing uh, every week, and we're really excited about that. Um, here are a few names, uh, new pledges that were made since the last time that we uh, announced these things. Andrew Boness, Sherry Palmer, Rick Snell, Mike Scott, Cody Reader, Jerry Bowling, and Catherine Savard. Hope I pronounced all your names correctly. Thank you so much for your partnership with us and um, your support of our work. We appreciate it a lot. Um, so there was that. <clears throat> the membership community also wanted to make you aware that we are booking right now workshops for 2020. So if you're a pastor or a leader um, of some kind and you'd like for us, um, one of our team or two of our team, uh, to come in and do a workshop, we do workshops on the Enneagram uh, for spiritual transformation. We do workshops on parenting and grace and truth. We do workshops on Church in the Church in the Wild, which is one I'm really excited about, um, which is basically how to be, it's training for the everyday people in your church on how to just be the church in this new era of post-Christendom when we're not in charge anymore. How do we be the body of Christ? Um, how do we speak of our faith winsomely? Um, how, how do we actually be the church when we're not in charge anymore? Um, I think there's a lot to learn there. Um, and so if you are interested in that, gravityleadership.com slash workshops, fill out the form there and uh, we'll get in touch and talk about how that works and um, how you can bring us in in 2020 as you're setting your budget for the year. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, if you're interested in joining us for an Enneagram workshop, we're doing um, two more before the end of the year here. We're doing one in Philadelphia on November 1st and 2nd. And we're doing one in Lexington on November 15th and 16th. And then we've got a few planned for the new year as well, uh, the Indianapolis area, and then a couple in Michigan and Holland and Kalamazoo. So uh, check out the website, check out the show notes for all that information if you're in those areas and want to join us. Um, I think that's it, folks. Enjoy this interview with Ron Sider. Friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We've got a treat today by, uh, I mean, metaphorical treat. Yeah, th there will be no uh, candy or anything being sent over the airwaves. No, yeah. no candy. Yeah, it's just a normal audio file. Speaking of treats, <laughs> I, have a, I have a quick uh, treat anecdote. Okay. <laughs> Before we get to Ron. When yes. I was a little, yeah, our guest is Ron Sider today, and uh, he's written a magnificent book we're going to chat about. But when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I, had, I had like a little behavior disorder. I would I would eat artificial colors and flavorings, and it'd make me crazy. Oh wow! And back in the day, before people were allergic to every single kind of food there is, like nuts mm -hmm. and um, you know every, every you know everything, people would bring in treats to share with. Oh yeah, to share with the class. The class on their mm -hmm. birthday. Uh -huh. But I couldn't eat any of those treats. Oh. Because of the artificial flavors. They had artificial flavors and colorings, and I would go nutso if I ate them. Like, what do you mean? Um, like? I would just misbehave. I had no uh. impulse control. I have very low impulse control to begin with. <laughs> yeah. And it would take all of Are you sure it's it not away. the artificial flavorings? It may, maybe I need to go back on this diet. Maybe. Anyway, I had this little box in the back of the room. Uh -huh. 
in elementary school, yeah. and all the kids would be eating cupcakes or ho hos mm-hmm. or ding dongs, and yeah. I would go grab my like baked carob oatmeal bar that had nothing <laughs> in it, and I remember just eating it. Very sad. Yeah, uh, sad treats. No, we have an actual, an actual. metaphorical non sad treat today. Uh, Ron Sider is our guest. He has written a book on Christian nonviolence. We've been talking about power. Mm-hmm. and how power operates in the Christian life and in leadership. And one of the things we keep running into is a critique on nonviolence uh, that, and on like kingdom power, that it is weak and passive and ineffective, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought uh, one of the authorities on this is Ron Sider, and he's uh, graced us with his presence today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. Thanks. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are, uh, what you spend your time doing, et cetera? Yeah. I'm a farm boy um, who grew up on a farm in southern Ontario, was blessed with a great education, six years at Yale. And um, I uh, have taught uh, at uh, Palmer Seminary at Eastern University for 41 years, just retired this past June. And uh, I... uh, I'm working on an autobiography. I sleep uh, anywhere from eight to 10 hours a night. I have (laughs) seven grandchildren that I love to uh, spend time with. And um, my um, wonderful wife of um, 58 years uh, and I are enjoying good health. Oh, that's great, Ron. Wow. Is, is retirement, is it, I mean, this is the school year now we're into the school year. Is it, uh, what's it like? Are you stir crazy? Are you relieved? No, he's sleeping Um, eight to 10 hours a night. I'm continuing to (laughs) work regularly um, at my desk, uh, working, uh, getting ready uh, to write my autobiography. So I keep busy and I try to keep uh, myself in good exercise, good shape physically. Great. Great. Well, uh, thanks for being here. And real quick, you've written a book, uh, your, your latest book, is if Jesus is Lord, loving our enemies in an age of violence. Um, this book, in many ways, is a continuation of work you've been doing on nonviolence and uh, and love, and 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 your subsequent writings, your previous writings. Uh, tell us why this book now. What was the impetus or catalyst for you to write it? Well, my basic passion all of my life has been to uh, live like Jesus. I have a book called Living Like Jesus. Yes. Uh, I wanted to um, uh, live what he taught us. I, I believe he's true God and true man. I believe he rose bodily from the dead on the third day. And uh, if that's who he is, then uh, we ought to live the way he said we should live. So uh, that's been a passion all my life. In order to prepare to write this book, I actually wrote two previous ones. Um, huh. The first one was The Early Church on Killing. Uh, there have been hundreds and hundreds of huh. books and essays on what the early church said and did with regard to killing, but nobody had ever collected everything extant, everything that now exists, that relate to that question. What did the early church say and do with regard to killing uh, from the end of the New Testament until Constantine in 313, who uh, made Christianity legal? Uh, and the truth is that the, every single time that the Christian writers that we have extant now uh, talk about killing, whether they're talking about abortion or capital punishment or killing in war. Every single time they talk about it, they say that Christians should not do that. Hmm. 
The second book was um, uh, Nonviolent Action. I think the standard uh, uh, argument against people who say we shouldn't kill, uh, and I think it's the strongest argument, frankly, um, is that um, people who refuse to kill are simply not loving their neighbor. They're not taking responsibility for history. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously said that um, uh, I don't think Jesus would, um, if somebody was trying to push me aside and go and kill my neighbor, I don't think that Jesus would just stand by and let him do it. Yeah. I think C.S. Lewis is right. But um, the fact is that uh, the people who say we only have two choices, right. do nothing or kill, those people are simply mistaken because <laughs> there's a massive amount of history that shows that there's always a third choice. Uh, namely, we can act nonviolently. We can resist evil nonviolently. And the Nonviolent Action book tells a whole bunch of the stories of the last 50, 75 years where nonviolence has been amazingly successful. Gandhi and King, you know, changed history. Uh, in Liberia, they defeated a dictator with nonviolence. The, a million people in the Philippines uh, came to the streets nonviolently and they succeeded in getting rid of the dictator Marcos. It's the stories go on and on. In fact, um, a couple of professors recently did a, a, a scholarly study published by Columbia University Press, and they studied about over a hundred of the most important violent and nonviolent uh, uh, attempts to promote justice and, and promote freedom, uh, revolutions of various sorts, in the last hundred plus years. And they discovered that the nonviolent campaigns were almost twice as likely to succeed. Wow. And, when, and those nonviolent campaigns, in fact, were far more likely to produce a democratic result after the overthrow of the dictatorship. Mm -hmm. So it's simply the case that there's always a nonviolent alternative. Doesn't always work, but killing people doesn't always work either. <laughs> so I wrote those books to get ready okay. to ask my most basic question, what did Jesus tell us yeah. about how we wanted to treat our enemies? What did Jesus tell us? about whether sometimes he wanted us to kill. Hmm. Well, wow. that, that's fascinating. I, I've heard it said that, um, you know, people who are nonviolent, they say, I'm, I'm not nonviolent because it works. I'm nonviolent because it's faithful. Hmm. And uh, what I heard you just say is, yes, but it also works. <laughs> um, it, it's faithful and it works sometimes. Yes, and that's important. Uh, I'm, first of all, committed to not killing because I think that's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and um, secondly, I'm delighted that, in fact, it frequently works. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, first of all, I'm committed to Jesus and what he teaches. Um, and then I'm not surprised that what he tells us, in fact, uh, is successful in the real world. You know, if following Jesus regularly produced um, disaster and, um, and evil, then that would raise questions about whether or not Jesus knew what he was talking about. What do you think are the main obstacles to following Jesus in that nonviolent love? Why do we fail to do that? I think it's because, you know, the case for killing is, is deep uh, in our emotions. You know, uh, when we're threatened by evil, uh, we naturally respond, and uh, our inclination is to defend ourselves in any way, any way that's possible. Um, I think every society in history has used violence, killing, to protect itself. Um, so 
I get it when people say, you know, Hitler and Stalin and ISIS, uh, evil people rampage through history. Um, and the only way to stop them is to kill them. Uh, I understand it in my head. I understand it in my heart. But if Jesus is our Lord, uh, if Jesus is true God and true man, uh, and if Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies, then it seems to me it will simply not do for Christians to say, well, Jesus, that's nice, but it doesn't work in the real world, in the real world, so we have to set you aside. It seems to me mm-hmm. saying that is finally heretical. Yeah. It does seem <laughs> yeah. like that, Ron. Uh, <laughs> one, one would think. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does seem like that. I, I think the commitment to violence does run deep. I'm thinking about the first six chapters of Genesis where the uh, snowball of sin is seen most clearly in the violence perpetuated there. Mm-hmm. And then in Genesis 6, when God says, well, I'm grieved and angry about the evil, the only evil that's mentioned is violence, Yeah. right? Um, it's, the, it's the violence that allows the waters, the primordial waters, to take back over the mm-hmm. world. Um, but Ron, I wonder if we could play a game. I want to do a what about. Because we have so many whatabouts so what with Jesus's uh, eye for an eye, but I, I tell you, don't don't do that. So, wh- what about this? What about Jesus lays down a personal ethic that I, as an individual Christian, need to maintain? But if I work for a non-Christian organization, let's say the government, then I am free to kill as the government tells me to. Well, do you know Christians who say that, um, I personally think that um, um, uh, adultery is wrong, but if I work for uh, an organization that um, uh, organizes adultery, then I need to act in that way. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty good response. <laughs> yeah. is, is simply um, an unfaithful response to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the early Christians... Uh, didn't say, yeah, he told us not to lie. He told us not to steal. He, he told us not to commit adultery. But, uh, you know, the second coming hasn't happened. The millennium's not here. So we live in the real world and we have to lie, steal, and commit adultery. That's not what they said. They said, mm. now, in this time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, when he'll complete all his victory over evil and everything will be set right. In this interim time, we're supposed to now live what Jesus taught. Yeah, even though it was inconvenient for them. You know, it wasn't necessarily like an easy decision to choose not to kill, right? Yeah. In fact, all of the disciples except one uh, got martyred. Right, right. So so I'm going to keep pressing on the whatabouts, Ron, because... uh, it's enjoyable. These come up. The, it, well, they come up. They come up. These Every are, time you have this conversation, they I, come up. I hear this a lot. So there's no Romans 13 equivalent to adultery. So people return to Romans 13 as the text that legitimizes the state's or the government's use of violence. And we don't have a Romans 14 where Paul legitimizes the state's use of adultery. Uh, so could you speak to, because since Augustine, I believe, there's been sort of this uh, maybe maybe it predates him. There's been this sort of like two two worlds or two kingdoms sort of theology where I have one responsibility to the kingdom of God and then I have another responsibility to the state. Uh, and so how do you navigate when people bring up Romans 13 as this is my not only legitimacy, but this is my actually I, my duty is to is 
is to say, okay, if the state tells me to use the sword, I have to use the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one has to go back and read the text really carefully. Mm-hmm. And Romans 12 um, talks about what Christians are supposed to do and not to do. Um, we're supposed to, uh, doesn't explicitly say love our enemies, but it seems to have echoes of Jesus. It says, uh, don't um, execute vengeance. Um, um, let that to God. Let God do the wrathful punishment of um, evil deeds. And then it goes on in Romans 13 to say government um, certainly is established by God, uh, and uh, gov- God wants government. It says this is what government does, and it uses exactly the same Greek words to talk about what government does that Romans 12 said Christians don't do. Hmm. Uh, and it's one extended passage. So it simply makes no sense to say that Paul is going on to say that he wants Christians to do that. In fact, there's nothing in Romans 13 that says that Christians are supposed to execute vengeance um, on evildoers. Mm. Romans 12 said, let God, that to God. Romans 13 says government does that, but it doesn't say Christians are supposed to be engaged in government and do that. It says a number of things that Christians are supposed to do with regard to government. We're supposed to respect, uh, we're supposed to uh, pay our taxes, but it never says that Christians are supposed to engage in uh, the things that government does that Romans 12 just said Christians don't do. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating just the, the ways we rationalize and justify our violence. Mm. And, and I think, I, I wonder if you could speak a bit to what do you think shifted? You mentioned that first book you wrote about um, in antiquity, the first 300 years of Christianity, it was unanimous that killing was wrong. And yeah. then things shifted around 313 with with Constantine, and we see a shift in Christians theo- theologizing and ethics. How do you understand that? What What happened to change our clear, unanimous convictions and make them cloudy? Well, you know, Christians were persecuted. In fact, uh, in the early fourth century, there was a empire-wide persecution, and lots and lots of Christians suffered, were killed. It was a it's a terrible time, and there had been persecution on and off. It was uh, different at different stages, but Christianity was illegal uh, until three thirteen, and then you get an emperor who um, puts Christian symbols on his uh, military. Um, um, uh, uh, medallions and uh, makes Christianity legal. Uh, I can imagine why Christians were very relieved and very grateful. Sure. Uh, but um, Constantine was the emperor. He was in charge of the, the army. Um, and uh, uh, it's true that even though every Christian author who writes up until 313 says that Christians should not kill, it's true that uh, a small number of Christians were in the army before that, uh, increasing numbers in the late 3rd century and in the early 4th century. So that there were some people who were, in fact, in the Roman army, even though the Christian authors that we have say Christians are not supposed to do that. Hmm. Um, so I, I can understand why they were absolutely delighted with Constantine and uh, Eusebius, the uh, first great church historian, you know, writes at this time and and uh, idolizes uh, Constantine in a way that uh, many Christians, uh, in fact, uh, 
kowtow to political leaders all through Christian yeah. history. And we see it most uh, amazingly in American uh, religious nationalism today. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder how—there's a there's a two things. I, I wonder if experiencing violence from the state gives you a chastened uh, conviction that state violence can be godly. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like the persecution that Christians are undergoing from the state, they, if a Christian is being beheaded by the emperor, that Christian reads Romans 13 different yeah. than the Christian who's riding out into battle with a cross on their shield. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ron? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that's true. You, you know, man, could I, um, could I back up uh, yeah. and and kind of summarize what I think is the central argument uh, from Jesus. I'd love uh, it. Yeah. One needs to understand um, what Jesus said, and especially uh, Matthew 5, uh, in its historical context. And in that context, we know from Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian who wrote about this whole period, we know that um, there were a whole bunch of Jewish rebels uh, revolting against Rome. Uh, there was a widespread expectation that um, a Jewish Messiah would come from the line of David and that he would lead a military revolt against Rome, defeat the Romans, um, make Jerusalem the capital of the world, and things would be set right. Mm-hmm. That was what was expected. And Josephus tells us that in the period before and after Christ, that period of 100 years or so, there were a whole bunch of rebellions against Rome. Some of them were messianic, and every single one of them, with one exception, <laughs> you know, uh, failed, uh, and the person was crucified. And whenever N.T. Wright makes this point very clearly, whenever somebody claimed to be a messiah, and he was supposed to defeat the Romans, but then got killed by the Romans, never did his followers go on after his death and say, oh, we can still believe in him. Right. Yeah. Jesus claimed to be a messiah. He claimed to be a very different Messiah. He um, said, we, we love our enemies. At the cross, he um, said, Father, forgive them. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. Um, he uh, um, was living a whole different approach to violence when he makes his most explicit messianic claim, when he marches, when he comes into Jerusalem uh, just before um, his death, he rides on a donkey. A humble mm-hmm. donkey, not a military war horse. Yeah. Or war horse. So Jesus is is clearly claiming to be a very different Messiah. Yeah. He got crucified, and that would have been the end. You know, I'm sure that Peter and the other disciples on Saturday after the crucifixion yeah. were mad at Jesus. <laughs> they thought he was a fraud. He was a mistake. He had failed. But then they met him uh, on Easter morning, yeah. uh, or right after um, his rising from the dead, and they came to believe, yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he is who, who he claimed to be. And they then risked everything. Most of them got martyred to share that good news around the world. So that's that's the core argument. And Jesus, if you read Matthew 5, um, clearly, Jesus is clearly saying we're supposed to love our enemies. Now, he didn't say be passive. He didn't say, um, uh, don't resist evil. That's the way uh, it's often translated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when he said, um, you know, they've, they've told you, um, 
um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, uh, but don't resist an evil person. That's the NIV. Right. But the key word here, the Greek word, is used throughout the Greek Old Testament to talk about resisting in a military way, resisting violently. Mm. Josephus uses the word, and almost every time he uses it, he's talking about a violent military resistance. Mm. So as N.T. Wright says, um, when Jesus said, don't resist evil, he doesn't mean be passive. He means don't react in a violent military way to mm. evil persons. Yes. That's, I mean, that's one of the biggest misconstruals I hear, is that n- not to be nonviolent is to be passive. And if you're yeah. passive, you are either complicit in violence around you, or you're negligent, yeah. and you're you're basically abdicating your responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and I've literally you know, Jesus, seen... Yeah, go ahead, Jesus bro. wasn't passive. Uh, <laughs> if, if he taught here in uh, Matthew 5, we're not supposed to resist evil, then he contradicted himself all over the place. Right. Jesus was vigorous in challenging, yes. resisting, condemning yes. the Pharisees. When he marched into the temple and overthrew the money changers, he didn't uh, kill anybody, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, he certainly was resisting evil. And mm-hmm. at his uh, trial, uh, when he had said earlier, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left. Yeah. But, uh, at his trial, um, somebody slapped him on the cheek, and Jesus didn't turn the other cheek. He said, hey, why did you do that? Um, if <laughs> yeah. I did something wrong, tell yeah, me. Yeah. If I didn't, you know, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus was quite ready to resist yeah. evil in nonviolent ways. Hmm. I sometimes think it has, it's, it has something to do with, like, pacifism sounds like passiveism. And I've seen people actually spell it that way. I've seen people spell really? it P A S S I V E, or I yeah, but yeah, passiveism. And they've been like, yeah, I don't believe in passivism because I don't believe we should be passive. It's like, well, actually, that you know, it's, that's not the that's word. not how you spell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but I think it's an unfortunate uh, association. I think that's super easy for us to make. Hmm. Just yeah, I think that's right, and I prefer the word. Uh, nonviolence. Yes, yes, uh, me too. For the same reason, I yeah. sometimes in the book use the word pacifist, meaning that I don't think Jesus called his disciples ever to kill. But I want to be active. I want to confront evil. I want to be ready to risk suffering, even death. I think that people who think Jesus said never to kill should be ready to uh, risk death in the same way soldiers do. Yeah, I think that's one of the obstacles to nonviolent resistance, is that it is the strategy that most puts your own life on the line. So yeah. if I have a pistol or a gun or a sword or a knife, it I I have the I'm under the illusion that I'm safe because I can do the damage, not receive the damage. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just if I'm putting my body between violence and someone who's hurting, like there there's a sense in which I think we take our own death off the table and thinking about how to handle conflict and violence. And so then nonviolence becomes not something we disagree with. It becomes something we don't even consider. Yeah, (laughs) because it would demand that we believe the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Demand we be Christians. So, Ron, I'm thinking about John chapter 8, right? There's this picture of Jesus walking up on a a scene with a, a woman caught in adultery and all these rocks are like hanging over her head. And I think our imagination is the only way to stop a bad guy with a rock is a good guy with a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, we need Jesus needs a bigger rock. Mm-hmm. And what he does there, uh, you know, asking them a question to uh, confront their own culpability and what they're damning, 
and then and then writing in the sand that just seems so so one of my issues ron is when i consider john 8 i think my imagination is so anemic when it mm. comes to how to resist nonviolently feels like my body and my imagination are trained for violence <laughs> like i'm pretty good at violence mm-hmm. but i i don't have I don't have a John 8 imagination for how to respond. Uh, how have you been able to develop an imagination for that? What, what if, or, or have you, or could, uh, can I get a witness? Do you, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've never been tested in an actual situation where somebody was threatening to kill my wife. Um, what I have told myself uh, I would do in that situation is um, to say, um, in the name of Jesus, uh, stop, mm. uh, and then trust myself uh, to the Lord. It's also true mm. that I'm sure that the other guy would be better with a knife or better with a gun than I would be, so it would even be counterproductive to try to <laughs> do it that way. But sure. I think it would be yeah. uh, wrong uh, to... Uh, Try to kill the other person to defend myself or to defend my wife, but I do want to um, put myself nonviolently in between evil persons, um, and in that way try to uh, resist evil. And uh, it works according to the historical record, again and again and again. Yeah, but sometimes at the cost of your own uh, harm or or death. Um, but again, that, that's why I said like that's why we have to believe the gospel if we're going to lay our lives on the line. We have to believe that dying isn't the worst thing that could happen to me. You know, <laughs> we, ha- right. we have to believe that God raises the dead, that, that the resurrection of the dead is actually true, and that this isn't the worst thing that could happen to me, that I die today, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but Christians have believed that for a long time, mm-hmm. that um, it's better to die than to, to do evil things, better to die than to uh, give up Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's better to die than to abandon what Jesus clearly taught. But it's yeah. true that uh, unless Jesus rose from the dead, and unless we're promised uh, life forever with the risen Lord, uh, then uh, the nonviolence that Jesus taught uh, really doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense. You have to believe that, that God has defeated death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is great, Ron. We we talk to pastors all the time who are convinced that leading uh, with the love of God as revealed in Jesus at the center of who they are is uh, the most faithful way to lead. And there's a growing awareness that violent abuse and exploitation, etc., is uh, not just harmful, mm-hmm. but thoroughly unchristian. <laughs> It's not yeah. just, you know, the world says it's bad, but as Christians, we have a mm-hmm. rich theological, ethical framework to say, there's got to be a better way to live here. And I just commend, your your book is really accessible. I, I was shocked at how you have a, a the gift of, of writing about theologically rich and complex things in a really accessible way. And you don't mince words, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, you get in and out. Like, this book is under 250, under 200. You know, you just get in and out, and it's really good. So thank you for the resource. I'm going to pick up nonviolent action. I think um, I, I, what I hear the Spirit saying to me as we're talking, Ron, is I need to soak my imagination in yeah. stories of nonviolence. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm struck by, I, I wonder how many minutes of violent 
television and movies I've seen. People inflicting yeah. damage on each other, either verbally or physically. Mm. And uh, that's there's a spiritual cost to that. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about the Marvel movies that, that have recently come out. That, that's kind of like our new myth, the new American mythos. Are these Marvel movies? Do you know what I'm talking about, Ron? Um, I must confess, I don't. Uh, um, I haven't watched those, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> they're they're basically yeah, they're these cartoons that they've made into these you know blockbuster movies, and I've I've gone to those movies. Iron Man, Spider Man, yeah, Batman, Superman, yeah, the Avengers, um, and I've I've gone to these movies and enjoyed them, but um, but yeah, lately I have been struck by how the answer is always you know confronting violence and evil with more violence, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, the you know the bad guys killed everybody. Uh, so now the good guys are gonna kill the bad guy who killed everybody, and then you know what I mean. Like it's we're gonna kill all the bad guys, basically. Yeah, that's the answer. Um, yeah. And so it is. It's, it dominates our imagination without us really even thinking about it. We just sort of go to the movies and we eat some popcorn and we enjoy it. But Ben, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord. That's not then the answer. Iron Man is not the answer. So uh, Ron, thanks so much for your book. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, God bless you in your retirement, your autobiography. And playing with your grandkids. And sleeping eight to ten hours a night. That's I, I love that you put that in your bio, and I commend you, sir. Uh, I want to be like Thanks, you when I grow guys. up. Thanks, guys. Blessings in your work. Thanks. Right. Peace. Thanks so much, Ron. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.